You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. You're sitting in front of the mirror getting ready for bed. There's nobody else in the house. You see something move in the corner of your eye. You glance to your right, but you don't see anything. Another minute goes by, and you think you see movement again. So you slowly turn to your left, but again, the room is empty. You turn back around, and staring you face to face in the mirror is a cat. You jump back, because you don't have a cat, and there's no cat in the room. But there he is, staring at you in the mirror. Welcome to Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Now, step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, our ghost host. Welcome to Paranormal Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. I'm your host, Brandy Stark, and we are at Necronomicon. Uh, we're doing a panel on animals and the paranormal with... Do you want to introduce yourselves? Sure. My name is Kathy. I write as Kale Napper. And I'm Lakeisha Spletzer. And we are going to record this session with permission of everybody here. Okay, uh, for your listening enjoyment. So we're going to get started right after these messages. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. from experience feels like home for her enter the code paranormal and save 10% on orders of $65 or more plus free shipping at petco.com Celebrate your special occasion and give her this classic semi-eternity band created with one carat brilliant diamonds channel set in 14 carat white gold. Exclusively yours from ice.com. Free shipping over $150, free returns, and 30-day money-back guarantee. Go to ice.com and use promo code ACTFP and get 20% off your purchase. Or use promo code ADTFP and get 20% off at Diamond.com. Ice.com or Diamond.com. Get 20% off from Pet Life Radio. How would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called InfoSeeds. InfoSeeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit PetLifeRadio.com. Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of InfoSeed or email us at PetLifeRadio.com. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. 
This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products and talk to the companies that make them. Best Bets for Pets, every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. Welcome back to Paranormal Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. This is a continuation of the discussion for Necronomicon's Paranormal Pet Panel. My name is Brandy Stark. I'm a paranormal investigator with the Spirits of St. Petersburg. And about eight years ago, I started doing research on the role of animals in the paranormal. I created the Paranormal Pugs page, which is somewhere between number one and number three on the top Paranormal 100 list. Uh, Much to my surprise, I never imagined that. Because in addition to the Paranormal Pugs page, I have a Paranormal Pocket Pets page, a Paranormal Pets page, the Spirits of St. Petersburg page, and Ghostly Images, which is my own ghost site, all of, of which I maintained. And Paranormal Pugs, just nobody had anything like that on the Internet. And so it is actually the most popular of all the pages I have. But in addition to that, I have done academic research over the past three years on the role of ghosts and animals in the liminal state or the supernatural state. I've actually... I'm happy to say gotten A's on those papers. (laughs) I'm thrilled. And in addition to that, I have a show called Paranormal Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. I actually was interviewed by their host for the Paranormal Pugs page. And a year later, she called me and said, I'm retiring from the show, and do you want it? And I said, okay. And so here we are. I I never saw it coming. So we'll go on. First of all, I think Paranormal Pugs is just so much fun to say. (laughs) It is. Uh, well, uh, my name is Kathy. I write as K.L. Knapper, uh, and I do supernatural thrillers, paranormal mysteries, uh, uh, dark fantasy, that sort of thing. Uh, paranormal animals certainly do kind of uh, segue into what I do, uh, and, uh, you know, in my good friend here, uh, in that uh, I often write about uh, lycanthropy or some such like that. Uh, I think they're excellent metaphors. Uh, for our particular states of mind. So this is a panel I was keenly interested in and happy that they uh, asked me to do. And my name is Lakeisha Spletzer, and I have always had a thing for animals in general. And once I started reading and read, you know, about werewolves and other um, animal creatures, shapeshifters in general, I was hooked, and I have not recovered yet. Um, (laughs) And I, I wrote a Young adult paranormal novel is my first one, and I deal with shape shifters of all types. I want it to do wolves, felines, and bears, because to me those are kind of like the biggest, baddest predators floating around the planet, and it would be cool to create a society, you know, working with that. And when I heard about this panel, I went, me, me, please, God, yes, me. If nothing else, this panel. So uh, Anne went, okay, Keisha, calm down, here you go. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll start with research on, on animals. Now, I know, academically speaking, 
the most popular animals associated with the paranormal, see if you pick up a theme, cats, dogs, birds, cattle, sheep, and horses. Uh, in the order of sensitivity, dogs are usually number one, followed by cats and then horses, which I've always found to be very, very interesting. And if you look at story-wise, it also makes sense. So if you think about it, what animals do humans associate with? most often, and we're probably talking, and actually we are talking, I've done research on the role of animals back to the ancient Greeks and Romans, and of course cattle and sheep were very much part of that lifestyle, goats as well. So what do you quantify, or, or what animals uh, do you all see as the most paranormal? You've already talked about werewolves, which is kind of interesting. Yes, and of course, you know, we're talking about the myth, mythic realm and, uh, you know, how it, it's interesting. Actually, I just had a wonderful conversation this morning about uh, reality uh, and collective reality and, uh, you know, how we look at it that way. So even when I say, you know, that this animal or that animal is mythic, even as I say that, I'm always open to the fact that maybe not so much, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, but yes, I find it interesting, just as you said, that uh, the animals that we um, um, are most in contact with are the ones that we attribute to it. Uh, but the, again, those are the ones that we most know. We don't know uh, what happens with animals uh, that we just simply don't connect with that much. Uh, certainly, uh, fascinating things with dogs, uh, and there's any number of tales uh, and uh, uh, documented tales. I think one of the most uh, Famous ones that I know of, uh, I believe it was turn of the uh, the twentieth century, turn of the nineteenth century, uh, and I think they they just did Richard Gere did a, a, a an Americanized version of the tale of the little dog uh, that uh, waited for you know his you know, I mean he he mm-hmm. came back and forth you know waiting for his his um, his owner. Uh, who never showed up, and for the next 40-some-odd, well, to the end of the dog's death, mm-hmm. he waited. Uh, which, first of all, shows an, an amazing amount of, of empathy. Uh, but then when you add to that, like you said, canines and cats that know when their person uh, is coming home. And, you know, and they can add, uh, they've done, uh, of course, films uh, and actual studies where they show where they have dual cameras, the worker, you know, the, the person is getting ready to leave the office miles away, you know, and the, the cat or the dog will be heading towards the door, getting ready to prep. Uh, it's just astounding, and uh, there's too much, I think, overwhelming evidence along those lines to simply say it's simply coincidence or that there's a sense of timing along the lines of the animals. Yeah, I, with you, there's been stories, too, I, when they used to have the TV show 911, they had one, and I this one stuck out for me because I was like a teenager when I saw this, and I, you know, loved animals anyway. But there you had this cat that called 911. It wasn't a fluke. This cat actually knocked the phone off of the charger and took its paws and hit the correct sequence of buttons and dialed 911. And they had this recorded, and I, because at first I was laughing, thinking, no, this is a joke, but it really did happen because, you know, they played actual 911 tapes. So when the woman answered the phone, the operator, she goes, you know, 911 emergency. And all she hears is, and, and the cat is like going to town just distressed, and he's, and he's hollering in this really loud voice. And so they, at first they thought it was 
a joke. And so she was like, okay, you know, it is illegal to, you know. So yeah. she, she goes into this spill. So then the cat gets quiet for a second. And then she stops talking. And it goes, meow, meow, meow. And it's just, it keeps on. So finally she's like, okay, maybe there's something to this. And she went ahead and just dispatched the police officer. And it turns out that the owner was an older lady. And she had had a stroke. And she fell and hit her head. And the cat... The phone, she was trying to get to the phone because I guess she knew what was happening to her and she tried to get to the phone, she just didn't make it. The cat had knocked the phone and was sitting by her side and dialed 911 and that's how they found them. So, you know, to me, I'm sitting there going, okay, how many children would even have had the presence of mind to do that? But, you know, here's something that people consider, you know, inferior because it's an animal did something truly amazing and extraordinary and that that's love right there well and to plug the pug just so you know i had a friend who called up yesterday from denver and there was a pug in denver that apparently uh, the building caught on fire and this pug was crated and started to bark and got his owners up well the owners thought he had to go out so they opened the door and he, he went out and they were taking him out and he would stop at every neighbor's door in this building and he would bark until they got up and so uh, he actually roused the entire building this way and got them all out. Until, and this is when they discovered the building was burning down. And actually doing this show and having the websites, um, I've always found it rather fascinating uh, how many people have actually emailed in and said, oh, thank you for, for actually having this up or doing this, because people have this big question now as to, you know, what do pets do, and, and they really believe that animals are more than science is allowing for, which I think is interesting. Um, the dog, historically speaking, goes back 10,000 years with humankind, and there I've, I've often wondered if there's a genetic connection to us after all. Uh, dogs, interestingly enough, symbolically speaking, are usually liminal state beings in which uh, they fit into several categories. Uh, one, they lead humankind into the supernatural world. Two, they keep the supernatural world and the human human world apart. See, like Cerebus or Caribus, depending on how you want to say that. He's not the only one. There are dogs like this in Native American culture. Zoroastrianism has the dogs at the bridge. And they actually help keep these two worlds apart. They're literally liminal state beings. They also sense ghosts, and they are the most often reported ghost phenomena. Followed by, you have cats. Cats, symbolically speaking, go back to Egypt and China, 4000 BCE, uh, and they are representative of sorcery. They're also linked to healing, and there are some theories that it's because of the purr of the cat, and they have actually done studies that certain sounds actually imbue healing, and the, the purr fits. They're also seen as supernatural because they have this great sense about them. Uh, their whiskers and their hearing is so much more sensitive, plus they can uh, see so well in poor light. They only need a sixth of the light that we do. So they are also seen as supernatural. And uh, I'm sorry to say, I, have, I actually have pet rats. I love, I'm not sorry to say that, I love them. I have uh, 11 right now. And I did research on, on the role of rats in the supernatural, and I've, don't look at me like that. They are wonderful little creatures. They are so intelligent. I know someone that had one, too, and she swore by that. Oh, they're great. But I'm sorry to say that, symbolically speaking, they represent the devil. <laughs> I went, oh. <laughs> My students will probably agree with that, but that's okay. So it kind of gets to be interesting. And you were mentioning lycanthropy and the werewolf syndrome, and I've always wondered if that, that doesn't tie in. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. You know, I really don't know. I can't say that, I, to my knowledge, I have ever actually uh, uh, met a lycanthropist. So, uh, but my guess is that you know that's if you know if there if there's a shapeshifter around, my guess is that they don't tend to want to actually talk about it very much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, 
being human, or actually, I guess, any sentient being that is aware of life and death, uh, so many of us, of course, you know, I mean, we associate rats and bats uh, and worms, uh, you know, and uh, that sort of thing. Of course, we associate that with death and disease, and therefore, we put a negative connotation on that because we are so accustomed to thinking that, you know, that life is good and death is bad. <coughs> So anything that's bad uh, immediately gets uh, shuttled, you know, and, and bad is death. So anything associated with who are actually, you know, thank heaven for them. You know, I mean, it's, you know, they were the cleanup crew. Of, you know, they are our global cleanup crew. What would this globe be like if we didn't have, you know, uh, these wonderful little sanitation experts, uh, you know, reducing us, you know, to mulch and oil? And on the occasion when we're lucky enough to come back as a diamond, if you will. But uh, so they—it it all depends on how you look at it. But it doesn't surprise me those negative connotations. Uh, the pity, of course, is because we have those negative connotations. We have given ourselves permission uh, to uh, not treat those particular beings with at least a certain amount of level uh, level of respect, you know, and empathy that any being that you know feels pain. Uh, and pleasure should have. Uh, lycanthropy. Uh, it's a very fascinating situation. Uh, just about any shapeshifter, everybody knows that shapeshifters are in every kind of uh, society. It goes way back. Uh, and uh, the shapeshifting depends, of course, uh, on the region and what everybody is familiar with. That shapeshifting, particularly in lycanthropy, uh, has uh, ultimately kind of been melded into a negativity along the lines of witchcraft when, of course, that was considered uh, so evil. Uh, I, I do find it interesting uh, that that has uh, coalesced. Uh, I don't know if anybody is here. I, I have, on a layperson's situation, I, I've done, of course, an extensive amount of research on lycanthropy. Uh, but on the other hand, I had trouble, at least at the time I wrote the book. Now, when I wrote, originally wrote the book, and I'll try to be much shorter here very quickly, uh, when I wrote the book, uh, actually, that it predated when we were all doing our, our computers and stuff. So I did a lot of that initial research. And after we, of course, got to Internet, I updated it. Uh, but I find it fascinating, uh, the uh, relationship of silver uh, with lycanthropy, which is where it was originally. It wasn't so much uh, with uh, vampires. Those, those mythologies started to get kind of blurred after a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and to this day, I find it fascinating. Uh, and I have never found a, a true and definitive uh, uh, explanation as to why uh, lycanthropy and silver are so closely related. And I'm curious if anybody else here has heard much about that. I thought about it once, and I'm, I'm starting to wonder if it doesn't have something to do with the periodic table and the way that our elements are arranged. You know, the, what we breathe, because we do the oxygen and the carbon, but if you look on the periodic table, silver is in, you know, a kind of different category. And it makes me think of the, the movie Evolution. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that with David Duchovny and, uh, oh shoot, who else was in there? A whole bunch of different people, uh, Juliana Moore, and the aliens come down from space, and it turns out the selenium that you find in dandruff shampoo can kill the aliens. <laughs> um, and the reason why was because on the periodic table, 
selenium would have been to them what arsenic is to us. It was poison. So it made me think a little bit after watching, I'm like, maybe silver has something, because they wouldn't have had a periodic table way back when they first conceived of it, but maybe there was just something in it that they thought silver had this, or maybe silver means purifying. Maybe they viewed it as something purifying, and it, that's why it burned you because you were evil. I mean, there, there's all kinds of different ways that you could maybe possibly look at it. But I've never found anything that definitely said, this is why well, in the Jungian ideal, there is some ideology behind silver as a symbol. The gold oftentimes represented the sun and the bright, the masculine, whereas the moon is represented by silver. So in the ancient world as today, where we get a lot of the, the folklore, like and like go together. So uh, for example, dogs are also liminal state beings because they're carrion eaters. So next time you pet your little loved one, just remember that they will go up and dig up dead bodies and eat them. Uh, you know, and that was the function of dogs. It's part of why they're so sacred in Zoroastrianism is that you want release from the body, and who releases you from the body but the vultures and the dogs. And so both are sacred animals. Uh, crows also do the same thing. So of course they're going to be supernatural, and so do pigs, interestingly enough. So the idea in the ancient world is you are what you eat. <laughs> so because they eat death, they become associated with death. So I, I think you could probably say something similar. You know, if silver is the moon and the moon powers these individuals, and the moon will also take them down. Yeah, I think that's probably about as close to the, uh, uh, the tie that we could probably hope to get. Yeah. I just have a question, because I did look this up once, because I was curious about the silver. I was under the impression, and I could be wrong. But everything I showed showed that the silver that came from movies, and they developed that for a movie. Well, so did fangs for vampires. I'm, so, I'm just saying, it was just... Silver has, it does have supernatural powers. Most of the metals and the elements did, uh, the stones did. This goes back a long, long way. Uh, but as much as we're seeing it today, it has been exaggerated. I mean, vampires used to be able to stop by running over one, running water. Ghosts too. I mean, you know, how basic is that? Uh, but you never hear that anymore. You know. And it used to be also a whole lot harder to kill a vampire. It's not. It wasn't yeah. quite as you know as easy as just being able to you know to sneak up on them in the middle of the night and hit them with a stake. Stake yeah. had had to be a particular wood. Yeah. You had yeah. and you had to keep in mind that the vampire isn't truly asleep. So. Uh, you know, I mean, it really was exceedingly difficult uh, to kill a vampire uh, compared to today. But. but it was hard to kill, you know, the shapeshifters, too, because, right. you know, you had silver. And that, basically, that was pretty much all you got with the, you know, or you could, you <laughs> could, could uh, kill with silver. You yeah. know, that was kind of You it. could steal the skin. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, skin walkers. And witches. For my cat lovers, I'm going to apologize now because just so you know, it is the Catholic Church that associated cats and witches. Uh, this goes back to the Middle Ages, and cats were considered to have the fire of the devil in their eyes because their eyes reflect light at night. They're also associated with Freya and some of the feminine goddesses like Diana, uh, goddesses of witchcraft. And so by the time you hit, I want to say it's Gregory the Ninth, but I'd have to look it up because Quite frankly, all these little popes kind of all look the same. <laughs> they all have the big hats, it's and they're the all. Hat. Like, yeah. <laughs> but um, he is the one that actually does declare cats to be evil. And by the time you get down to France in the 1400s, they were literally it was okay to torture and kill cats, and they killed almost a thousand of them in a festival in one single night, and just awful things like that. So I have retribution now. 
Yes, they did. And the irony is that the reason why cats were so important to the ancients is that the mice and the rats were bringing in uh, pestilence and plague, and they were eating the stored grain. And so the ancient humans wanted the cats because the cats could kill the rats so that the humans could live. And then you have this whole reversal, you know. And really, cats were somewhat outlawed until the 1800s. It's so it gets to be interesting. Why they all died so soon? It's because you killed off the disease control. It's never happened. Good job. <laughs> Did horse have a question or a comment? Um, that was what I was going to cover. The cats and the rats. Yeah, the whole plague. Yeah, I, I, I just love the fact that you're talking. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is it talking horse? <laughs> yeah. Mr. Andrew, no, Mr. Andrew, move over. Everyone. <laughs> I haven't heard anything about cats in the uh, Oriental societies. They go back to about 4000 BCE as well. Uh, actually, nobody quite knows how cats got really tamed or enticed, other than apparently you can feed a cat and it'll stay. <laughs> and that was basically how it worked. Uh, in the Orient, you know, you have a whole different series of ghost stories where animals and humans, I think this comes from a more animistic tradition where humans, uh, well, where literally the spirit world is all around you, and that includes the animals. And so um, there's actually this really interesting, I actually did a, an episode on hellcats for, for paranormal pets, but there were some interesting myths about demon cats that demanded sacrifices. And this odd story was that uh, these demon cats would actually dance at night saying, don't alert the palace dog, you know. And so this one warrior actually snuck up on them and heard them chanting the name of this dog over and over again and saying, don't alert the dog, don't alert the dog. So what he does is he goes and he gets the dog. And he alerts the dog. And sure enough, you know, the dog and the warrior take care of all the demon cats who were actually were having young maidens sacrificed to them. They were eating humans. So apparently be nice to your cats. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I knew that already. <laughs> well, particularly if they start demanding virgin sacrifices. <laughs> you got to watch it. Japanese society, one of their little gods is a uh, Tommy, yeah. good luck. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, cats are interesting. They, they have kind of this unique twist. It's really only in the West that they seem to be so heavily persecuted. But if you look at Western ideology, it's completely different. Are you guys okay if I mention religion? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. It is Sunday, so I guess I'm legal. But, <laughs> uh, but you have the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, you have humankind that's given dominion over the earth and the animals, whereas you don't have that tradition in the East. And so in the East, there's more of a we are part of nature ideology. And so it really has a different bearing on how you treat animals and, and the like and the supernatural. And I thought I wanted to throw in with my own studies here and there. One thing I've noticed over in the East is even though they may classify something as a demon, it doesn't necessarily have to mean it's evil. They can have demons and they can be like a neutral good type of thing and actually help humans or over here it's like, no, 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 it's evil, you gotta get rid of it. So... Excellent. Yes, yes, indeed. I know, uh, uh, in particularly in um, in Buddhist tradition, as you point out, I mean, there, you know, there, you know, there, there's ghosts and there's demons and there's uh, devas and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. uh, but just because somebody is a ghost or just because somebody has been reborn, you know, as a demon, uh, you know, it might be the nature of that person that because they were born as a demon, you know, they're feeling pretty bitter, and who wouldn't? But it's a consequence 
of their actions, not because they're necessarily uh, particularly evil. Uh, and they are reacting to, uh, their, uh, to their new reborn situation. Uh, but not, again, uh, uh, you, as you said, it's a whole different take as opposed to over here where uh, are, you know, the classic, if you think about the orcs and, you know, and the demons and stuff, where, you know, they just, uh, just love, you know, being evil. As you said, there's a very different take on that. They're just another, uh, they're just simply another form of life. Uh, simply, you know, and, and, and nothing more, nothing less. Those are some good questions. We ought to just let you all keep asking. Yes, seriously. <laughs> what about uh, the Native American tradition, the animal spirit, the totem representing the person? Again, you go back to your shaman, and the shaman is literally a liminal state being. He is in between worlds, this world and the next. And so he has communication and somewhat control, in theory, over other spirits, and those other spirits include animals. I love primal tribal traditions or indigenous traditions because they are so in tune with the earth that uh, we are, actually, we are the ones that kind of stick out. Animals fit in better with nature. Nature contains God, and so animals become kind of these supernatural totemic beings. They become more than what we see. I agree. I think that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Uh you know, so much of what we call Western religion today, even though, you know, no matter how you look at it, our so-called Western religions are actually, their basis still goes back, you know, uh, to the East and to the Orient. Uh, but it was the flavor that it took on, you know, as it hit, the, of course, that particular European, Central European type of situation. Uh, that is, globally speaking, as you point out, the Native American cultures, you know, weren't East, uh, and yet some of the similarities uh, of, uh, you know, of, of the American, uh, American continents and the native cultures of the, of the American continents and the cultures you know, in the Orient and in the East are stunningly alike. Uh, so it was uh, the twist that happened in the European culture that was you know, very fascinating and actually quite unique compared to the rest of the world. You know, and became very, uh, it can become very dark. I really don't want to pick on it too much because people are people and culture is culture. So much of that sort of thing comes, as we've talked about before, just a, a, a misunderstanding, or in my opinion, a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation mm -hmm. of uh, actually, you know, our own thoughts on our own basis on our own religious traditions uh, that we have kind of lost track of what it was actually supposed to. I'm sorry, I got completely <laughs> off the subject there. <laughs> no, you were on the subject. All I was going to say is maybe, you know, the Orientals and the Native American cultures, maybe they were just more enlightened than the rest of the world as far as it, you know, came to being about being in tune with nature, um, which with shape-shifting in general, that's kind of what, you know, the really good stories, you know, most of really good stories, um, are the ones that kind of deal with that internal struggle with, you know, your half-human, half-whatever this creature is. Um, and they can either be, you know, like the original werewolf, werewolf man, you know, be just pure animalistic, whatever, or you can have them be the kind that they're human and they, they hate that animal side, but yet, you know, they're drawn, they're, they're, they're drawn to it because, you know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're hearing voice, that's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay. but, um, but yeah, it's just, uh, I love that green tone, no bad <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was your commercial interruption. Right. Your commercial. It's perfect. 
commercial. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that's what I, I, you know. And then you have the cultures where your shape shifting is dictated by, like you were saying, how they believed in the sun, in the sun and the moon. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the time, they always say that the lunar, the night, you know, whatever. Um, nowadays, when you write, it's because I read so much of the paranormal. It's it's kind of shifting, and you've got some that kind of like me, where we're throwing in the science aspect. You know, what if you were genetically made mm-hmm. that way? You know, you you were human, but someone tweaked your <laughs> tweaked your your in parts and made you you know into something else. You know, how does this work for you? How do you function? And you and know, even that gets to be an interesting question because what's the big difference usually universally throughout between humans and animals is the sense of. Wow, you're busy. <laughs> I you have the phone. <laughs> I really, honestly, I thought I turned off the phone. Okay. I just okay. turned off the phone. Commercial is back. It's okay. It's, it's an important message. <laughs> it's the shapeshifters. And we're going to pause here for these brief commercial messages. When we get back, we will hear some of the concluding discussions for paranormal pets. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash paranormal to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. FTD's network of over 40,000 florists around the world have been creating beautiful handcrafted arrangements for 100 years. Each arrangement is delivered the same day and backed by FTD's seven-day satisfaction guarantee. For a century, people have trusted their most important occasions to the flower experts at FTD. Since Pet Life Radio is all about puppy dogs and flowers, our listeners, that's you, can get a 20% discount on your order. Just go to florop.com and use the code PARAPETS at checkout. F-L-E-U-R-O-P dot com, code word P-A-R-A-P-E-T-S. There's a movement afoot, ShoeBuy.com. Join the millions of people who shop ShoeBuy.com's over 400 brands and 500,000 products. Order now and get free shipping and free return shipping. ShoeBuy.com, the world's greatest shoe store. Walk your dog in style and comfort. Enter the code PARANORMAL at checkout and get a 10% discount plus free shipping at ShoeBuy.com. Like your business to reach out and invite in our audience. We have a brand new trademark concept called Info Seeds. Info Seeds are short 20 second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. Is the best, most cost effective way to invite us in. We only have a limited number of slots left. 
For more information, visit the website. PetLifeRadio.com Click on sponsorship information. There you can listen to a sample of InvoSeed. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. Hi, this is Tim Link, host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Join me as we feature interviews with best-selling pet-related authors, award-winning writers, journalists, and bloggers. And we'll tell stories about the animals and interesting topics about the animals in our lives. Each of the interviews will give you a first-hand knowledge about why the authors and writers chose a particular story, what the feature animals meant to them, and what has become of those animals that we've talked about. And of course, I'll also share stories from my own books, blogs, articles, and experiences. So be sure to join me and the writers and authors on Animal Rights. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And welcome back. This is the conclusion of the Necronomicon panel discussion here on Paranormal Pets at PetLifeRadio.com. With the shape shifting, this idea between, and I think in the West it's so horrific because what do animals lack that humans have, and that is human reasoning. And yet, what do animals have that humans don't, and that is the ability to react almost to that id, to the moment, to the. Uh, that's why vampires are seen as so uh, seductive, is that uh, they're a little more id like. They're sexual, they're sensual. You know, and look at animals. You know, uh, part of the Buddhist idea of the animal realm is that animals, they live on pure instinct. So it's going to be food, sex, and shelter. You know, and that's their experience. And that's the world that they're reacting from. So I think those are, are some really interesting ideas. Literally, honestly, it is off this time. <laughs> That's right. I'm very sorry. It's okay. All right, so you guys are coming up with some great things. Do you have other questions? Other ways you want the discussion to go? Okay. I think it's funny that we keep separating it as West and East, when a lot of the Western cultures had their own beginnings long before organized religion, mm-hmm. Druids, their ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans. And a lot of them had to do with animals, too, and shape-shifting. Uh, the ancient Celts had selfies, and that's carrying on even now. See, that's what I liked about mythology, which is probably why when I was in fourth grade, and I spent a whole year, literally, I, yeah, I went crazy. I read folk tales, I read fairy tales, I read mythologies, and finally my librarians, because I'm from Virginia, and a little, little bitty small town, they basically threw up their hands and said, Keisha, we're sorry, we're out. <laughs> There's nothing else for you to do, but... In, in the Greek mythology, and then later the Roman mythology, because they took from the Greeks and just renamed stuff. You In the Greek mythology, you know, Zeus, he liked to become a horse and a swan, and yeah, he liked to change to these animals, and then a lot of the, like, horses we denote with power and strength, and, you know, like you said, it's like the third on that list of, of animals that people think of, but horses in general, you know, they're for war, they, they, they do work, they do this, and so I thought it was always interesting that Zeus chose really powerful uh, 
type of animals to go and seduce the maidens. Yeah, very, <laughs> that, that was that was very was to go get them. And Poseidon, you know, of course, he did sea creatures, and he would often, you know, turn into a dolphin. Which I think that's <clears> interesting <throat> that you know not more is done with dolphins, but then again, you got the mermaids that probably came from the, the you know people seeing the dolphins, but. They changed into these creatures, and then they would go and do their thing. And so even then, you know... But look at what that. they're changing into, too, because Zeus yes. wasn't stupid. I mean, horses okay. have the stud idea. Yep. He changed into a bull, and mm -hmm. bulls were definitely considered fertility. Dolphins, uh, scientists are now coming up with the idea that they can have sex for fun. You know, so they're also fertility animals. Uh, you know, so there is that connection. And, of course, uh, we're talking primarily, when you talk about mythology, you have to... We're talking uh, religion today versus mythology. So you end up with kind of a, two different dichotomies. But um, in the ancient world, before the, the rise of the Western powers, certainly there was a, a strong, strong connection to nature. The Greeks would worship outside the temples, not really inside. So, of course, they, they had that connectivity. But then you see that separation coming in with the uh, standard Westernized religions today, where almost the Neoplatonic ideal comes in and the material world becomes something that is darker. And you also have the, the inclination towards evil versus, you know, kind of the more nature-based, where nature is not evil, uh, it is what it is, you know. And so you're going to see that, that difference over time. Uh, even the term demon, for example, the Greeks had demons, and that was that little inner voice that told you what was right and wrong. But in the 6th century, that was taken by the church and transformed into demon, which is a little bit different, the dark figure, the devil figure. So, But it is really fascinating. Uh, I love the old myths as well. Uh, and it also, again, probably associates with animism. And we still see it today. The eagle, where does it show up? It shows up as one of the symbols for the Gospels. So if you haven't seen it, you go to a church and look at the podium, depending on the church, granted, uh, but you'll actually still see that eagle image there. And you look at that and you say, well, where did that come from? Well, you know, you can, you can trace it back. The, the eagle, the lion, the man, and the bull, all four, still show up today. It's really fascinating stuff. just shows that we're not as disconnected as we like to think we are. Now... If there aren't other questions, I have a new topic to introduce for a couple minutes, and that's the idea of animal awareness. Uh, how aware an individual do you all think animals are? Studying the paranormal, uh, part of the reason I came up with the Paranormal Pugs page was that my pets, of course, are not uh, animals. Pugs are small, slightly misshapen humans, and as long as you understand that, we are fine. Um, <laughs> but they are quite self-aware. And so when I was younger, you know, it was very distressing when they died. And at this point, you know, people were starting to get to their pets, but not to the level they are today. But I started to think, well, you know, I think these animals, pugs are artificial. Nobody even knows why they're around, other than to be companions, flea attractors, and foot warmers. And I am not kidding you. I, I did the research. So they're very odd little creatures, and they are they set with personality. You know, they're very, I would almost say empathic. They love humans. They love to socialize. So I started thinking, well, you know, why is it that when animals die, nobody ever talks about ghosts? And, uh, you know, it was a little bit as a lark because I thought, you know, pugs are so artificial, you know, I'm going to kind of put this out there and see if I get any response. And I was stunned at the response I got. So what do you all think of the notion of animals coming back in the role of ghosts or in the role of spirits? Definitely? Have you had the experience? Of an animal spirit and the animal spirits. Mm -hmm. um, 
the animals, their spirits coming back. Yeah, uh, I th certainly, I think uh, that the vast majority of any animal that uh, certainly at least that, that we associate as being animal, they are sentient. Uh, you know, it's how does one define self-aware, but yes, you know, I think that they're perfectly uh, sentient. And if they're sentient, then there is, it seems to me that when it comes to moving uh, between uh, the different planes, the different, rather now we think of them as different dimensions, or rather we think of them as different uh, uh, worlds, uh, you know, if, if one would say that a human can do it, uh, then that logic would then, therefore, any sentient being, uh, you know, has that potential as well. I don't have a problem with that argument. I, I know. We had um, our one cat, uh, who's expired you know, quite a few years ago, knocked his carrier off the garage shelf, upper garage shelf, and he let us know that it was him that did it. <laughs> and that was his carrier, because he could not fit in the carrier with the other two cats, because he was the biggest. He was 18 and a half pounds. That's a big so cat. So he had to have a single carrier. The other two could fit into one. Was he a Maine coon, or what kind of cat was he? I'm just curious. He was half Siamese and half whatever daddy was. Oh. <laughs> wow. That's a big cat. No, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and he wasn't, he wasn't fat. He was muscle. Big. Wow. Was he red? Hmm? Was he red? Tuxedo. Wild, oh. pretty wild. He sounds like an unusual cat to begin with. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, and he was just a phenomenal cat. Excellent. And we've got one hand in the back, and then we'll come up front. Is that okay? There's a short story called The Open Window by Safi H.H. Monroe. And there's a story within the story in which uh, um, a man who owns a country estate uh, disappears into the bog with his groundskeeper and the dog. And then uh, at the right dramatic moment of the sunset, it's getting cool. The two men appear again out of the bog with the dog. So in that case, yes, there is the suggestion that it goes Interesting. We had a... Yes. Uh, we've had many animals. I grew up with all kinds of animals. Uh, everything you can think of, including a crow. Neat. A crow. The thing that I notice is that, that animals uh, are accepting of, of the now. And so I believe that they seem to, when they die, and I've held many animals as they died. And the most exciting, I know this sounds peculiar, the exciting thing is that difference from when they're breathing to when they're not. And you see that breath go, and you're left with that empty body. But what I wanted to tell you about, I had one cat, and he was a cat that lived, he was a stray kitten. He lived in my townhouse, and he never went out and he hated anybody outside. And he would run at, uh, you know, it was a townhouse in a, in a place, uh, apartment complex. And he would be upstairs and he'd run down and run at the window, the, the sliding glass window, if there was any cat or dog out there. And he'd run right into it. <laughs> he was a tabby cat. He weighed 
about 17 pounds. He was a big cat. He knew how to fetch. He knew how to do all this stuff. And he was mine. Yeah. Me. And when he died, um, he had uh, it was only like a year and a half, and he had uh, some kind of infection. Uh, they could not save him. And I actually, when it got to his final breath, I chloroformed him. But I held him all this time. And I was in the dining room with him, and I had him like this, and we're sitting on the floor. Well, he died, and so on. A couple of days later, the cat who lived next door, who was a little female cat, I opened up the door, and she was out. And I'd always liked her, and I picked her up, and I brought her in. Where, and uh, the people didn't want to get rid of her, and I said, I'd take her now. So I'm standing there petting her, she's purring, we're doing and we're walking I'm walking around with her. I went into the dining room and she looked down to the spot that Mo died and she went nuts. And she went and started clawing me to get out of the house. And that's the only time out of all the animals I've had where I think Mo and Mo didn't like anybody. I mean didn't like other animals. <laughs> And I really, because it was right at the spot, and she looked down, and, and then just she was trying to get all over me. Now, she'd been fine. Mm -hmm. She was a very loving cat. And I, I, you know, I got caught, and she wanted out of that place. I am certain that she knew Mo was that there. she knew that, he, I mean, I don't believe Mo stayed there. I mean, I, I don't think a spirit has to stay where they die. But I really think that he was still there with this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Now, I do feel that I have seen all the animals have a reaction to death after the person has died. That I've seen a great deal of, had many experiences. And one of them, there were several with the crow, but when the neighbor died, the crow was loose for several years before he finally had to be caged. And when the people next door, the man died who had been very kind to him and he had liked him. And Sylvester was still loose. And the hearse came, he died at home. And Sylvester was out and when they carried him out and put him in the hearse, Sylvester swooped over that hearse and followed right on down the block. Wow. Going back and forth over it. He never did that with other cars. Whether it meant anything or not, I don't know. But everybody noticed it. Because he, he just like, where it's called a dive bomb. And mm -hmm. Interesting. I think that uh, Got you. dogs also uh, have a, a sense of uh, death to each other. We lived out in the country, and uh, what we called our farm dog, which was our husband, uh, got hit by a car in front of our home at night. And when that happened, the other dog that we had was in the house, not outside. Pardon me? We had two of them. Went to the center of the, the, the house in the kitchen and just sat together and howled, mm -hmm. although they hadn't been outside with the passing of that dog. Yeah. I've rescued a few animals. My cat I've rescued right now is 30 pounds worth of dog cat. Oh my gosh. I was quite bad with it because he was red. But I've noticed the animal's reaction to death is 
totally different Mars than cats and dogs. I think dogs are sentimental and cats aren't, right? Typically, Frequently, yeah. Well, it's it's dogs that are more haunting than cats. I will tell you that. Yeah, so, but the, I don't believe I don't believe cats do much of any haunting at all because there's some matter of fact. Okay, I'm gone. It's finished. Mm -hmm. Well, they're enigmatic anyway. Yes. That's my point. I'm finished. I'm gone. Except the one that was the lowest on the rung in the household is Mula. <laughs> well, and it's, it's an interesting point too because a couple of the different studies between cats and dogs, dogs center of the house is the person, whereas cat center of the house is the house, it's the territory. So it, it is kind of a different dichotomy. And just to add in a very quick story, I actually, even though I work with the paranormal, I don't really see a lot of it. I have equipment and whatnot, I have a team. But I had one rat, and his name was Shadow, because I love the shadow, it's Pulp Fiction. And this rat was what I call a rubber rat. He had, like, just no bones. He could flatten himself out and he could slip out of anywhere. And I had to make, he was the smartest thing I have ever met. I had to make a deal with him because he would slip out of his cage. And I would have to say, listen, you stay in the cage during the day and you can come out at night. And there's nothing quite like it because I would wake up in the morning and some mornings, he actually like, he thought he was a pug. Honest to God, he would not associate with other rats. He would not, he associated with me and the pugs. And he would actually follow me like a puppy. And in the mornings, I would wake up, and he'd either be curled up next to the pugs who didn't like him. They're like, oh, my gosh, no. Or he'd be curled up right here. And he was a hairless rat. There's nothing like waking up because they look very fetal. When you wake up, and you're like, okay. Okay. So, but he was, he was the smartest little guy, and I adored him. And he's one of those that you know is special. I mean, you can have a lot of pets, but you know those that just are something else. And unfortunately, uh, he only lived about two years before he started getting tumors. And I had to put him to sleep because they were, they were inoperable. And I was really surprised because, you know, I never expect to see anything. But he loved one section that he would run in. And for a week, three times, I would see this little, he was a hairless rat, so I'd see this little beige streak out of the corner of my eye. And I would turn and look, and I, whenever I looked, there was nothing there. I honestly don't think it's imagination because rats, I do a lot of rodent rescue as well, you know, and I have a pretty good number. But for a week, I also saw him, he would like to sit up on top of a wall, and uh, he would run into my closet. I still find rat damage, but that's okay. He was worth it. And it's, it's the weirdest thing. Now, cats, if they're going to haunt, they usually haunt for six months. Dogs will haunt for a year. He haunted for a week. And I always wondered if it was something like, uh, depending on your lifespan, because rats are just so accelerated, you know, that's how much time you would, you would hang around. Or the sentiment, sent, well, I can't do it, sentiment. <laughs> there we go. So it's just kind of something interesting. Do we have any wrap-up comments? We've got about five minutes. and uh, Just a, a, a paranormal story about an animal that happened. Yay! Uh, <laughs> Thank the, uh, heavens. Uh, yesterday I did my talk. It was about fertility and speciation and this long thing. It's going to be on the internet. We had some dancing women playing the parts of chromosomes of rabbits. So there were these young women <laughs> wow. dancing around being rabbits to illustrate a very fundamental point in, in, in genetics. Well, we've been working on this for months, off and on. And um, Thursday night, the last day before the night before the con, last rehearsal, everybody's gone, and the, the woman who put the most effort into it, who clearly had her mind on top of it, who was my chief rabbit. So, and I was saying goodbye for a, about a half an hour. We stood out in the driveway talking about details and so forth. And while we did, a rabbit, a real rabbit, it's been around my house for years, 
just came in through the shadows, sat under the bush, and watched her for half an hour. <laughs> wow. You know something. Hopefully that wasn't Zeus. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe hopefully it was. <laughs> <laughs> High fertility rate with that god, let me tell you. So. Very good. Uh, yeah, I just I have a long history with uh, Karen Carrier, uh, female, and uh, we were. I'm originally from Scotland, and uh, we were in, uh, we went to the Isle of Skye, which is off the coast. Of That's. The coast. As we wanted. Yeah. yeah the, they have, speaking of odd things, they have the fairy castle there, then they, and it's weird. <laughs> yeah. You've been there. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not, to me, it's an amazing place. But we were driving around Portree, which is our main city, and this little, uh, cute little puppy ran out, and we almost ran it over. We didn't. And it was about, you know, time to be, and we went and bought it immediately, and we had her. For 18 years, and, uh, black hair and carriage is very rare, and uh, she just—I uh, had her pup and dumb dog, but cute. But she was just she could if we had a party, and uh, we had some relatives and friends, and if we wanted, if we were in the kitchen getting ready, we'd say, Heather, go get Aunt Jean. She'd go sit in her lap, and Aunt Jean knew to come in the kitchen. Wow. And there was other people there she didn't know, and she did know. And she was just amazingly intelligent. And there was just there was something about her. She was almost human. Yeah. She, was, she could literally talk. And you knew what was going on. And she would, she would, when my grand, I lived with my grandparents. And when he came in, the, the, the garage was like 40 foot at the end of the, the, pad, the garden. And you, you couldn't hear the car. It was just you'd come in, and then she would be at the back door scratching, and she'd go welcoming him. And it was just it was stuff like that. It was just she lived to be a night and We unfortunately emigrated in '67, and we had to leave her with Anne Jean. And uh, unfortunately, she died shortly because she couldn't stand not being with us. She was a she was a wonderful dog, just amazing. Oh, I have seen a, my wife and I have seen a cat spirit. We had a cat Misty for a few years, and uh, she had her young. It's my daughter, <laughs> and uh, I saw I saw spirit of Misty, and my wife had too, at certain times in our house, and you know, I don't know if she was ever in our house that we have now. But uh, anyway, Misty was not a great cat, but <laughs> strong enough to make person. a ghost. I'm a dog person. That's but okay. I, there, was, there was still that because my wife said, "I saw the spirit of Misty last night, just sitting there." You know. So. It's been odd things with uh, and fun things with. Uh, really neat. And I've got cats all over the backyard, and none of them are mine. <laughs> and Welcome to Florida. Friendly, but, you know, <laughs> that's okay. It looks like horse has a oh, final comment. All right, You're, you are our conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> How apropos. Do you find that uh, the whole ghost thing with animals is it just the animals that people associate with? I've never really heard any ghost stories from crocodiles or lions or anything like that. And that's what I find so fascinating, personally. It's normally pets. We're not hearing stories about cattle or slaughterhouses haunted by chickens or pigs or, you know. You're almost always hearing about pets. And I've often wondered if part of the reason for that is because animals that are pets don't have to fight for food or shelter or even really sex. I mean, you take that away from them, sort of. but. You know, and so they have the ability to 
form a stronger personality. They're around humans as well, and I don't. I think we kind of rub off on each other to a certain extent. But there are very few stories that I've ever come across of a wild animal that haunts a location. So you're right. You're right. That's an excellent question. I want to thank you all and our panelists for being here. This was a fun presentation. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening to Necronomicon's Paranormal Pet Discussion here on PetLifeRadio.com. Just as a quick retrospective insert, the uh, room actually did have an individual wearing a horse mask who talked. So it was very much like Mr. Ed. (laughs) Most unique uh, way to spend a morning, let me tell you. Uh, As always, I remind you to support your local animal shelters, your pug rescues, your pet rescues in general. And uh, we'll see what other kind of adventures we can come up with here on PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.